This is Cinema Degeneration. I am the devil, and I am here to do the devil's work. I, I just can't take no pleasure in killing. Just some things you gotta do. We all go a little mad sometimes. You wanna know what happens to an eyeball when it gets punctured? You just can't let them go? Go! Hi, I'm Jackie. Wanna play? <laughs> Please, God. This is God. The dead will walk here. I'm just gonna bash your brains. Your suffering will be legendary even in hell. Get me back my It's alive, it's alive, it's alive. They all Coming to get you, Barbara. Boy, Kane's writing has been known to have an effect on his reader. Whatever he writes. For years, I thought I was making all this up. Whatever he thinks. Do you read Sutter Kane? <laughs> becomes real. It's about people turning into things. All righty, folks and fellow degenerates, we are continuing with our John Carpenter Appreciation Month. And this week, we are covering something from the 90s, the In the Mouth of Madness, release of 1995. And joining me this evening from In the Mic of Madness, no no relation, but a semi-close relation, is uh, Rebecca Reinhardt. Thank you for joining us. We we stole our title of our podcast from this movie. (laughs) We didn't. We got clever with it. It was a play on words. Thank you very much. Yeah. You know, the thing is, when we were talking about doing this, I didn't even put those two and two together. Like, <laughs> that's how it's like simple-minded I am. Well, I like, here, oh. here's how simple-minded I am. You said, hey, you know, what Carpenter movie would you want to do? So I'm like, well, I don't want to, like, do one of the, like, really obvious ones. So I go through and I'm looking through his filmography. And then I was like, duh. <laughs> Maybe that's the one I should pick. <laughs> it seems like kind of a gimme, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. It does. But whatever. It eluded both of us. <laughs> right. Well, we'll start off with the very, very brief one sentence IMDb synopsis, which is as follows. An insurance investigator begins discovering that the impact of a horror writer's books have on his fans is more than inspirational. And that's very vague, but uh, doesn't give too much away, thankfully. Yeah, I mean, it's it's vague, but it is about as much as you can say about this without giving anything away. Right, um, without writing a novel of your own. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Which people tend to do on IMDb. I don't know if you've noticed this, but, but like uh, you'll have the one, the one like one sentence one, and then the next one is by like anonymous, and it's like a four page like diatribe about the movie. <laughs> like yeah, that's not a description. Like, Somebody did their thesis on it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, this one, okay, I, I, am, I am not a 90s girl. Uh, the 90s were a very large black hole to me for a lot, you know, in a lot of ways. Uh, and cinema was one thing. I was in college. I was broke, so I wasn't going to movies anyway. But I also was in this, I'm going to get caught up in all of the 
you know, all of the masterpieces that I missed, you know, in my teenage years, because now I'm in college, you know, (laughs) you know, so 95 was kind of that, that point in time. Um, So I don't think I saw this till maybe 2000, which is not really that, it's not that big of a difference. Like five years doesn't seem like a big difference, but in the scheme of my life, 95 to 2000 was a very, very large jump, uh, um, this is one of the few 90s movies, though, that I can I go back and I say that I, I still love. Um, I agree. I, I agree. And the 90s was kind of a black hole for, for horror. It was the, the least interesting yeah. decade of horror. Yeah. I mean, I want to be gentle about it because I don't want to, like, offend too many people. Because I'm not saying there wasn't anything, but man, oh, man. Yeah. The pickings yeah. were slim. Yes, but this was a good one. <laughs> yeah, this was one of the good ones. And I still consider this to be one of Carpenter's last great films between this and uh, uh, Vampires, which I, I'm going out on a limb here because I know a lot of people don't like that movie. But it's still a good movie. It, you yeah. know, it, it's, it's, it's better than Ghosts of Mars <laughs> by yeah. a long shot. Right, yeah. If you're going to go on a comparison of his downhill arc, then this was definitely like his last hurrah in my my opinion, yeah. at least. Yeah, this was his last. You know, he still made a few good films, but this was his last great film. And you know that we're going to concentrate on the great ones here. And the and speaking of great, the the first actor, the first person we really get a glimpse of is John Glover. And the first note I have is when John Glover is your doctor slash psychiatrist, <laughs> you know you're in fucking trouble. That's right, because you wa- walk into this huge weird looking beautiful like art deco uh well we found out it's a water plant but it it looks like a mental institution it looks like a hospital yeah um and then you everything is white including your doctor's coat is painfully white and his teeth which are always (laughs) showing because he's always smiling are painfully white you know you're in a fucked up place yeah you're this is not a good place (laughs) yeah it's not a good place to be Especially when get, all the orderlies, like, you start beating up all the orderlies, and he just stands there with a smile while you do it. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't seem at all concerned when they bring uh, when they bring our main character, John Trenton. He doesn't seem at all concerned, you know, that this guy is kicking and screaming and going nuts and, you know, drop kicks one of the orderlies right in the testicles, which uh-huh. has my, one of my favorite lines of the movie, which is, I'm sorry about the balls. It was just a lucky shot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, I mean, he actually bit, really does actually seem to feel bad about it, too. Like, damn it. <laughs> like, he was just throwing a kick out there. I don't think he like, yeah. totally meant to, <laughs> to, to yeah. land it, at least not the way he did. But let's talk a little bit about our main character, John Trent, played by Sam Neill. It's, it, you know, we've discussed this uh, movie b- before, and, you know, Sam Neill is just not someone that I, when I think of him as an actor, I think of him as more as a supporting actor and a uh, character actor. I don't think of him as a leading man, you know, and that's not a a detriment or or a negative to any of his performances because he's a performance guaranteed actor. He's always good. But I always think of him as more like the bad guy or somebody who plays second fiddle. So this is a rare occasion probably outside of the... uh, the uh, Jurassic Park movie, uh, where he's played a main character. And I really like the character, uh, John Trent. You know, he's a guy who's always looking, you know, he's an, an insurance investigator. So he's been programmed to always look for the fault in everything, you know, to look for the con. And I just 
I identify with that kind of character. You know, somebody who's just seen the negativity of life and is just always looking beneath yeah. the surface. Yeah, and, and a little pragmatic, too. I mean, it's not all negative. I mean, there is just some of it is just he knows that 99% of the time, it, everything is smoke and mirrors, and there's a rational explanation for everything. You know, that's right. just what he's that's just what he's learned and that's what he's going to go with. And he he does have like a mean streak. Like he's got like a he is a little uh, uh, devious or something at points in time. Um, yeah, he's a little like, rough around the edges when he when he interacts with his fellow human beings. Yes, yes. But I love it. And, and that's what we were talking about. You and I were talking about, you know, Sam Neill. I was saying I couldn't like I couldn't tell you like five things he's been in. He's that guy, you know, like he's right. been in everything, but then when it comes down to the wire and somebody says, what's he been in? Oh, uh... <laughs> right. Like Jurassic yeah. Park and Omen three, you know, that's like the two things I can think of. Yeah. There are very few. And, um, but he was, he was great in this. And I, I would like to say straight out that if they had cast anyone else for this, I am not sure that it would be as great of a movie. He played the, I guess it is identifiable too uh, with me. He played the really painfully sane but insane guy, <laughs> the guy right. who it's it's just bubbling but just beneath the surface, like and everything that you've ever known has been totally dismantled, totally broken apart. And he, when he does go into quote unquote insanity, he does keep bringing himself out of it, just like that. Like he he's like mad, mad fighting. Like a crazy person. But right. then two seconds later, he's like, oh, man, I'm sorry about the balls. You know, I mean, he's super still rational, even though he's quote unquote crazy. And right. so he's I trying like to that, rationalize everything in an irrational, irrational, rational way. Exactly. Exactly. Perfectly said. You know, and at the beginning, you know, I love the opening of the, the opening credits and the music yeah. is something I always make a point to focus on is John Carpenter is quite the accomplished musician and yes. the movies where he does his own music are by far the best. There's been a few movies he's done where he hasn't had a hand in the soundtrack. And I think those movies suffer for it because, you know, music is such an important part of a movie of a movie. You know, that as a filmmaker as well yourself, you know, the soundtrack can make or break a movie. And I think some of his soundtracks are just as intriguing as the movies themselves. Yeah. And I can actually boast that I've actually seen him in concert about a month before I had my uh, first heart attack. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> in, in 2017, I, I seen him in November 2017 at the Aragon Ballroom up in uh, Chicago. And it was amazing. We were front row center. It was standing room, wow. you know. But we got there before anybody and waited. Just we were, I was 10 feet away from the man, just watching him go nuts on that synthesizer. And it's an experience. And I hope when, uh, you know, the pandemic lets up some and we can have some live concerts that he t makes another tour because his be soundtracks cool. are great. But that being yeah. said, the nightmares imagery in this movie, especially like that they show in little bits and pieces, is fucking terrifying. You know, yes. the, the kind of glimpses into the insane world is just, you know, it, it's just as effective now as it was 95, 25 years ago. Yeah, I mean, there are some things uh, as we get into it. This is uh, K&B did the effects. Um, mm -hmm. And there are some some creature designs that are a little dated. Um, a little bit. But for the most part, they it's almost like they knew 
that they needed to shield us from some of those things with some shadows and that type of stuff. Like, you don't always get that impression. Like, sometimes you watch, especially, I'm sorry, this is like my anti-90s, like, podcast. But especially in the 90s, everybody thought that what we had was, like, the best crap we were ever going to get. CGI, oh my god, it's amazing, it's mind-blowing. And then it's like, mm, you guys really shouldn't have showcased it that much because it really sucks now. You should have yeah. anticipated that this was not going to be the best of the best. But they almost seem to have anticipated it here. So it, this movie does hold up well with the effects and the creatures and the other world. Well, you know, I, I think you said it uh, best, you know, K and, with K&B. K&B did the effects, so you're going to get top-notch. Yeah. You know, and that doesn't always work, you know, but I feel like, you know, at least seven out of eight cylinders were firing. Yeah. You know, the effects work, you know, and they were right to keep some of this stuff, you know, in the shadows and just giving you glimpses of it, you know, and tastes of it. And even, you know, like we'll get into this much later in the show, you know, when they bring out the elder gods or the old ones yeah. towards the end, you know, they were right to kind of keep that, you know, under lock and key till then. Yeah, a little shrouded, a little, a little mysterious for yeah, for good reason. But you know, the the main gist of the story here is John Trent is an insurance investigator hired by a publishing firm to go find their prize star, their their writer Sutter Kane. And you who is Sutter Kane is basically a conglomerate of H.P. Lovecraft and a whole lot of H.P. Lovecraft and a little bit of Stephen King. Stephen King, right? Like almost yeah. like it. Yeah, almost like if Stephen King had a little bit more of a a sinister uh, twist to him. Not even sinister. We'll get into Sutter. But yeah, yeah like it was a way it, they really did make it seem like he had that level of popularity. In fact, he outsells Stephen King. <laughs> yeah, they do make that uh, they do make that <laughs> reference. He outsells Stephen King and he outsells them all. And I'm like, okay, I want to read Sutter Kane. You know, it's still after knowing where this movie goes. I want to read uh, Sutter Kane when this is all done. If they they should have put out like a like uh, an accompanying novel, you know, the novel that they made for In the Mouth of Madness, you yeah. know, or, or Hobbs End. I would have read that shit. They could have got a you know, get uh, Dean R. Koontz to write it. He writes a book every other three weeks. You know, they could have got him <laughs> to write something. I'm sure. I'm sure there are like fan fiction versions of all the Sutter Kane books. You know, there have to be, but not you know, legit. Yeah, like John Carpenter, like uh, approved ones. Now, before we get into Sutter Kane to start out with, so this is a movie that has bookends. So we're watching the end of the movie um, when yeah. John gets brought into this mental asylum. They throw him into a cell um, in number nine, which, by the way, that's I, I didn't catch all of those. But when he checks in the hotel, they put him in number nine as well. That was just oh. something I read in the trivia that I didn't that I didn't pick up on. I didn't pick up um, on that either. Yeah. And that the barcode of the book is actually, like, as they're showing it printing, the barcode of the book is actually 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 0, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Um, but so they so a guy comes in who is, we're assuming kind of like an investigator of some sort. FBI something. He's He's, like, he's definitely, like, a fed kind of thing. And yeah. he wants to talk to him. Because shit's going down outside. And uh, he asks the doctor, has he made any requests? And the doctor said, <laughs> only one. Yes. Oh, yeah. And Cam knows where I'm going. Yep, and I've seen said, your yes. notes. 
a single black crayon. And we walk into his cell that's probably at least 10 by 10. Yeah, and every, at least. Every inch of the wall is covered with crosses. He is covered with crosses all over his clothing and his skin. all over his skin. Go grab well, a crayon and try to write on your skin right now. It doesn't work. And a crayon <laughs> does not, I mean, the, like, the, the, like I, it would have to be a huge freaking crayon. Like, or at least like, like a 64 pack of like, you know, nothing but black crayons to cover the, the mileage that they get out of this yeah. one crayon. Yeah, I mean, I always have to make like the Harold and the Purple Crayon joke every time I talk about this movie. I'm like, wow, that was a never ending <laughs> crayon, you know, whatever. That's the only thing in this movie that I never really can abide with all of the crazy ass shit that goes on with all of the meta. Are we in the real world? Are we being written? Are we real? Are we... You know, can, do we have choices? Blah blah blah. You know, and all the weird inception free will shit that goes anything? in here, right? And the thing I get stuck on is that goddamn black crayon. <laughs> That's where my suspension of disbelief is just like, yes. no, I'm not buying it. Right. You know, if he had said he asked for a, a, a package of sixty-four crayons, then right. maybe I could have bought it. I would have even been able to buy the idea that he could write on his skin with it because. Yeah, like, have you ever tried writing on your skin with a crayon? You, everybody's been a child with crayons. It just doesn't right. work that you way. Can't, you cannot make a mess with crayons. That's why they give crayons to children. You cannot write all over the walls with crayons easily. You cannot write all over yourself. You cannot mark on the dog. You know, that's why children have crayons. That's why, you know, he maybe he should ask for a single black Sharpie. Well, so, and this is the thing, too. So, I am a big proponent of... I don't care if what you put into a movie makes sense in reality, but it better damn well make sense in the world that you create. Yes. So if they had somewhere along the line talked about somebody inventing, um, you know, like a, a, an infinite Sharpie or something, and then that's what he requested, I would have been totally fine with that. But never, never do we know in this reality that colored wax is immortal <laughs> right <laughs> this the mileage he gets out of this fucking crayon is it, it's it's one of the few laughs of the movie you know there, there are a few laughs it's a played off very serious movie except for really where john trent is concerned because he's always kind of you know cracking wise yeah but uh yeah yeah that was, that was the one thing yeah. i just made me think to myself yeah. did anybody on the crew anybody in the cast and crew question that you know anybody in, when they put out the you know final cut just kind of go hey what was up with the black crayon but you know yeah. what probably not because see i'm i am like john trent i get stuck on the little minor details like that but okay moving on <laughs> we can now get to the real movie after i've gotten my my uh, my rant out of my system. <laughs> well, you know, well, the character that you that you mentioned that asked about the black crayon is Doctor Wren, and he's played by David Warner. And David Warner is in like everything. I believe that man's been in like, God, he's probably been in two hundred movies, probably at least two hundred movies and TV shows. I was actually just watching uh, the Full Moon short film, uh, the Pulse Pounders short. Evil Clergyman that he was in just yesterday. Great, great film. But David Warner is just such a talent. And if there's really any, like, one real negative to this movie is that he is underutilized. Because he's really just at the beginning and at the very end, at the bookends. But, yeah. you know, he, he he's great. But it all... It, and really, if, 
if you think about it, like Sutter or not Sutter Kane, uh, John Trent and then Linda Stiles. Those are the only two characters that really get fleshed out or get a whole lot of screen time. I mean, they they hired some really great actors in this, but it really does it very quickly becomes a two person show. And the next note that I had was that uh, Julie Carmen is style is actually a far more likable person than John Trent. Because John Trent, I, I like the character, you know, I'm I, I'm intrigued by him, but she's uh, a much more even-tempered person than he is. You know, he's just kind of, he's kind of slimy when he gets around people. You know, he's always kind of, you know, seething with this kind of smugness, mm-hmm. which I, I admire in, in a character. But Julie Carmen is great as Linda Stiles, also from uh, Fright Night 2, a great, great, great vampire yeah. sequel. But we'll cover that another time. <laughs> <laughs> but I love really the first scene we get with John Trent outside of this bookend, where he's with uh, the Robinson character played by the late Bernie Casey. Mm-hmm. And they're kind of, they're sweating a guy in, in an office, you know, they even makes a comment where it's getting real hot in here and he's kind of pulling at his collar but it's played by uh john carpenter regular uh it's a cameo by peter jason who mm-hmm. is in they live and go to mars among others but you know i love watching trent work him you know and he's like hey he's like you know if you're going to pull an insurance scam he's like one don't get your wife involved and if you're going to get your wife involved he's like make sure you don't have uh you know a mistress yeah and I love that. I love the fact that, like, he knows everything. If you've done he, it, he knows it. <clears throat> yep. He's he's very, um, this is a very noir thing in, like, in that it's almost like an updated noir. Like, he is, like, the private dick. You know, the private investigator who can find out anything about you, even when the police can't, even when, you know, your mother doesn't know. I can find it out about you. But it's like an updated version that he's an insurance investigator because, you know, not a whole lot of, you know, seedy, uh, underbelly private investigators who live the cool life probably around too much anymore. <laughs> so, At least like but, in c- circa 1995. Five, right. Yeah. You're not going to have like the slick guy, you know. But he is like a modern day kind of uh, yeah. Humphrey Bogart of, of sorts. Yeah, yeah. But after we get that, you know, scene underway, underway, and you get to know a little bit about Trent, uh, the Robinson character, Bernie Casey, has got another job for him. He wants, to, you know, this is where the job comes for the publishing house that they want to find Sutter Kane. And I love the way this is choreographed, this expertly shot, you know, it's from inside the diner. You see the guy who we later find out was uh, Sutter Kane's agent. Agent, right. Yes. Which I love. And there's another there's another piece of comedy, too. Like, because once he finds that out, they tell him that later. And then he's like kind of shaking his head like, but instead of being like, oh, my God, he's just like, man, that guy needs to find better representation. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> And then Styles gets all upset and like leaves the room, just like you know, as yep. as you would if you were part of his representation, you wouldn't want to be insulted like that, right? And plus, and plus, she is, as we find out later, she, at this point in time when we first meet her, I think she's starting to become concerned. I think she, I think she is actually concerned, don't oh, you? Yeah, I, I think she visibly looks concerned. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, I know that, that it does turn out to be that it was a publicity stunt in some way, shape, or form, but I think they only 
got him involved when they realized that their publicity stunt had gone horribly wrong. Right. Right. Okay. You know, when all of a sudden your, 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 you know, prize horse runs off track Mm -hmm. and you can't find them, even if it was just like, Hey, we're going to, you know, make, make believe something happened and perform this publicity stunt, you know, something else went wrong. They don't, and they just don't know what it is. He's completely disappeared, went off the radar, off the grid. So I think she's definitely concerned, you know, there was something else that, you know, was happening, you know, because they did have a publicity stunt, which we never find out what it was. I mean, it's inconsequential. Yeah, to, they didn't really the flush it out. But basically, they sent him away somewhere. We don't know where and wherever he was supposed to go. We didn't show up. That's right. all. That's all we know. Um, but what is funny in retrospect is that John was right. So John, John's instincts are like so spot on because he came in there and was instantly like, yeah, yeah, great, great story. This is a publicity stunt. Like he didn't even like he didn't even have to flinch before he was like he knew exactly what was going on. And he was right to a certain extent. Right. He just he didn't know right about the-, the other half of it. But he had he had he pegged them totally right. Yes, he did. And even at the this open this kind of opening where, you know, the the agent is coming out of the bookstore with an axe looking very sick right. because everybody that becomes under Sutter Kane's uh, thumb under, under Sutter Kane's influence starts looking a little sickly, you know, yeah. even when that happens, he's still kind of laughing incredulously. Like he doesn't quite, you know, he, 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 know, he thinks he knows what's going on, but he does know what's going on. You know, it's like, like you said, he's fighting for his sanity. He's coming in and out of it, you know, yeah. <laughs> You know, like at one moment, like you said, with the, the whole kicking in the balls reference, like, yeah, he might have been a little out of his mind when he kicked the dude in the balls. But five minutes later, he's just like, oh, geez, I really shouldn't have done that. That poor guy, you know, being pragmatic as he is, he's like, you know, but like when this guy comes through the door or comes through the, the, the window, window glass, he, just, <laughs> yeah, he just shatters it with an axe. Everybody goes flying. John Trent is, you know, stuck in his seat. And he just kind of squats down and looks at him and goes, do you read Sutter Kane? And you get that, yeah, and you get that close-up of his eyes, you know, and I freeze-framed it because I wasn't quite sure if I was seeing things right because I thought maybe it was just kind of a, like a reptilian kind of like eye contact thing effect that they were doing. But I think it was some sort of CGI where they did like a double yeah. iris effect and yeah, it's really, so. really good. And it looks really good and kind of lets you know you're in for something otherworldly right off the bat. Right. And I, I do think that um, it, it really quickly, and that is probably exactly why they did that. So that we know that John for as smart and, and sharp as John is, he is in for way more than he could have ever anticipated. So you're never, you're never as the viewer, like going, oh, so I wonder if it is all a hoax. From the very get-go, pretty much, you're like, eh I mean, and it's the fact that he's fighting it so much that he's getting put in a mental institution. You kind of know it too. But, but yeah, you know from the get-go that this is not reality. Like, this is not what we know as reality. Right. This is not, at least not our reality. This is, uh, you will find out, it's Sutter Kane's reality. Sort of. And, yeah, sort of. <laughs> well, it's not his, because he's kind of, it's not, he's, he's kind he's of a being, pawn. Exactly. He thinks that he's making, he even says at one point, 
she said, I, I thought for the longest time that I was making it up. And then I realized that they were just telling me what to write. Yes, the yeah. older gods, the old ones. Because there is a whole lot of H.P. Lovecraft influence in this. Yes. They even, I mean, and the, the name itself is a play off of his At the Mountains of Madness instead of mm-hmm. being called In the M- Mouth of Madness. You know, there's multiple quotes. You know, uh, I wrote one down, you know, when they talk about the black church at the end. It's a quote from The Haunter of the Dark when he says, the seat of an older evil than mankind and wider than the known universe you know that's a line that's a direct quote from hp lovecraft yeah and you know i think what it was they they wanted to incorporate as much as they could um from the you know hp lovecraft mythos a little bit you know having it being set in kind of new england type territory where stephen king is from hence the stephen king reference i think they were just borrowing little bits and pieces from different you know literary agents yeah you know of horror and it works, you know, yeah. uh, and it's really all about, you know, the rioting going all over Sutter Kane and the and a quote that I wrote down uh, from the news when they say, when does fiction become religion? And there's, you know, mm-hmm. you know this all over this book of the Hobbes and horror, you know, is the, is the newest, you know, the newest book. And Charlton Heston's character, who is the head of the, the company that, you know, has uh, Sutter Kane as an agent, he plays Jack, uh, Mr. Jackson Harglow. And for those of you who don't know who Charlton Heston is, uh, you know, please you're, go educate you're yourself. You're probably, I was going to say, you're and, probably you know. not listening to this podcast, so. <laughs> Charlton Heston in one of his final film roles, and he, you know, again, a little underused, but I think, you know, that keeps the focus on uh, Trent and Styles, is, which is where you need to be. So, you know, Harglow sends uh, Styles along with uh, Trent, or does he? We'll get into that a little mm-hmm. bit later as well. Oh, but he, they send him to, to go find what happened to Sutter Kane. And this is the hardest part for me to watch in a horror movie, you know, with all the killing going on and the creatures and the effects and reality slipping. The hardest part for me to, to watch is, is the way Trent finds out uh, where to find Sutter Kane. He takes mm-hmm. all the covers of the book. He thinks, you know, he finds a map. So he just starts tearing all these books apart, tearing the covers off of them and cutting them up. It's just like yeah. such a <laughs> sacrilege to just destroy these books. Uh, that's the hardest part for me to watch. I, I, my knuckles turn white watching this. So I'm like, now, now uh, and I also this, made the note. It's kind of like, oh, go ahead. Oh, and even like, even the second time of watching it, I was just like, I was just like rolling my eyes. Like there are people who are obviously like super fans of this guy. And this dude, he only just now picked up the books. You know, he's never read one before. He knows nothing about it. These other people are like freaking obsessed fans. And I was like, not one of them has thought to look at the covers and put them together like a puzzle piece so it looks like New Hampshire. But he's being, <laughs> as we find out later, he is being written. So it makes sense that he would be the one to find it out because Sutter Kane or the old ones wanted him to find it out yeah and it, you know it's it's all re- reality versus fiction and our reality right. is going by way of the, the dodo bird and becoming extinct and fiction is becoming the new reality i, I love right. it but 
you know, as we'll find out later, they're not being written that way. Well, and it'd be a very short movie anyway. So right, right. Happened. Yes, ex exactly. But the thing is, too, she's been driving at night for a long time. He's been asleep. And you know how things start, you know, you just start seeing things sometimes in the dark when you're driving on the road, you know. Um, and what I thought was Especially really cool and weird. Hours. Right. And I mean, she's tired and, you know, she has nobody to talk to and everything. But the, I mean, but the guy is on the pavement and he even sees this. John sees it. But when he says that to her, they won't let me out or whatever. It's the kid's voice in the old man's body, which kind of was very creepy to me, very effective. But then yeah, the, the guy very, gets up and starts just biking back creepy. away. And she's just like, what in the hell just happened? And Trent's just like, oh, look, he's okay. Let's go. <laughs> like, he right, like, yeah, Air. he just got up, popped up on his bike and just rode away. Yep. And Never then mind Trent's that he like, looks like he's 120 years old, but he's got the voice of an 11-year-old. An year old, and he just got like, mauled over by this car but that's okay let's just keep going we got something to do here styles get back in the car <laughs> right he says something to the effect of like oh we'll make a phone call at the next town and, yeah. and notify the authorities like what, what, are, what are you gonna they're not nearly as concerned as they should be but trend is a man focused so yeah. he is and I, I mean you know what are they gonna do at this point in time i guess if the guy bikes away i mean you can't really help him but still it was just the way that he just this was just like they hit a squirrel on the side of the road or something in his mind. <laughs> yeah, not like, you know, that this was, yeah. They, they should have known things were going on. But then again, he's uh, very much the skeptic. I, I don't think he probably believes that anything he's seeing thus far. I think he probably thinks everything is a con. Uh, and he does. And he does. He He is like the guy. The really annoying dude who goes to see a magician show and like keeps like pointing out, uh, I see a wire over there. Uh, I know how you <laughs> did right. that trick. I mean, and he, and as he's in the town, which we're getting ready to get into, um, he's even talking to these people, like telling like the guy at the bar, he's like, you're a really good actor. And he, he's like, you and that, that lady over at the hotel, you guys are like so good. Like, you know, not breaking character at all, whatever. I mean, he still is just like, this is some, you know, and this is a guy, we're talking about Sutter Kane. This is a guy who's made billions of dollars off of books. Could he theoretically build a town and hire people to make this huge weird hoax thing? Almost like a, an escape room type experience yeah. for his fans? Yeah, he could. Yeah, totally I mean, if could. you're if you're out selling Stephen King, you you most certainly could. Yeah. And speaking of the the old lady running the hotel, let's get to that. That's mm -hmm. shortly after they find the well. I don't want to say they don't quite find Hobbs End. I feel like they Hobbs End found, found them. <laughs> yeah, you know, they enter a little uh, you know covered bridge that is that that kind of transports them in a weird it, it kind of Star Trek transporter. Of I was going to say, it kind of reminds me of the very beginning of Space Mountain. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> yes, very much. I do love Styles when they get to the other side of the, the bridge and they're in very normal looking Hobbs End in the middle of, you know, New Hampshire or wherever they're at. And she just looks at him just like, you drive. Like, yeah. I've seen enough. I've seen a little boy turn into an old man and, and bike right. away. I just teleported through a covered bridge. 
But, like, but I, I love how he gets out of the car and like it's 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 just it's comedic because it is every long road trip you've ever been on where you end up doing most of the driving and it was supposed to be 50 50. Like you get yeah. out of the car and then the person who was like not doing the driving, they were asleep, just like they'll get out and be like, oh, we're already here. <laughs> like You just want right. to smack him, you know, it's like 10 times worse than even the worst road trip you've ever been on. Be like, you motherfucker. <laughs> right. It's like, yeah, slip through it. Thanks for all your help, dick. Mm-hmm. You but they get through to the, Space Mountain. But when they get to the hotel, mm-hmm. at the little hotel with uh, Francis Bay plays Mrs. Pickman of the Mrs. Pickman, Pickman Hotel. Pickman, yes. I love her. She's just an adorable little oh, old lady. Yes. And, you know, and I, I miss her, you know, and some of the roles that she, she's played and whatnot. But, yeah, she just plays this sweet little old lady, or at least that you think is kind of <laughs> sweet. Because, you know, when they get when they get to the place, uh, to the Pickman Hotel, Styles is all like, you know, this was, a, I forgot which book it was supposed to be uh, taking place in one of the right. Sutter Kane books. There was like, there was a creature in that greenhouse over there and the, you know, it was dark out and the townspeople could see something moving with snake-like arms. And that's when he's like, right. well, Styles, that that was the case and that little old lady we saw behind the counter, you know, <laughs> hacked up her husband her with husband, an axe. Yes. And, you know, and he's like, that old lady hasn't killed anything but, you know, dust. But yeah, and she's yeah, she's so creepily sweet. And then yeah, and and this is I can say that I would still be skeptical at this point if I were him because now we've got this this character. Like I mean, and as soon as they walk up to this hotel, Styles is already like you know basically like quoting the book about this is where this happened, blah blah. And then they're in the hotel, and she's like, "There's a squeaky board right there, right where he's stepping." You know, and she's like, "In the painting behind me, blah blah blah," and everything else. I mean, it does seem like a setup. It really does, you know. But if you pay attention to how she's reacting to it, she she knows things about this place, but it's disturbing her because right. it's so real. Right. But you know, she, you know, we can tell she's not putting it on, but John Trent is just again not right. buying it. He even says that that's the case, and then there should be you know two hundred and fifty foot. Uh, you know, uh, yeah. cathedral out, outside that window. Yeah. But then she's she corrects him. She's like, you didn't read the book carefully enough. She's like, the view was from this window. And she opens it up and that's where it is. And that's kind yeah. of really the first kind of semi moment where he's just like, oh, well, that's uh, kind of fucking peculiar. Yeah, fi- where you he know? finally, he finally gets schooled by her. But he probably still is just like, oh, okay, well, you won that round. But right. I'm gonna win the whole game, like. But, yeah, um, like, you won the match, but you didn't. You you ain't winning this one. <laughs> this is this is one point where I think that because we go straight from there, and then they that they start going to the church, and basically he's reading the book verbatim, and he even says it sounds like it's a guidebook for this place. Um, and then we have like these people come up to the church. They, she keeps yelling, they've got guns, let's go, blah, blah, blah. And all this stuff happens, which we'll t- we can talk about that in a second. But basically he's like, how did, how did you know that was going to happen? And she's like, it's in the next book. Only I read it. I think what right. would have been a little more effective, like for that, because that switched so fast. Um, I think for when he was maybe reading the books, when we got his montage, for for some of the flashbacks to some of the stories, 
you know, like Mrs. Pickman or blah, 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 those types of things so that we could see on our own instead of it being spelled out for us just with words that we could have seen on our own. Oh, this is what happened in the book, whatever. So that when we do see this happen, we can be like, ooh, I wonder if that happened in the book. Like it just, it's a kind of just a little missing thing. It was almost like, hey, just write a little line in there or something to kind of cover this up and let's just keep going. Right. I feel like it was probably a, a uh, it was a budgetary thing of, the, of being able to do it in a line or two of dialogue as opposed to showing it and filming it. Because if you can say it, it's a lot cheaper. Yep. But, but, you know, <laughs> but, you know, that's one of the few little things about this that it could have been fleshed out a little bit more. And, and you know, who knows? Maybe there's a director's cut out there. Uh, I heard about 30, 20. 20 to 30 minutes of this ended up on the cutting room floor from what I remember reading on Wikipedia. So somewhere out there, there's a version of this that exists where maybe that is a little more fleshed out, but right. I would love to see Right, because this movie clocks in at like, what, an hour and 35 minutes. I mean, this is the kind of movie I, I would go into fully expecting an hour 45. Oh, yeah. If it was a two-hour movie, would would have not have surprised me at all. But yeah. It, it's, it's short given the given the, the subject matter. You, mm-hmm. kinda, you know, for being about literary components you know in books and writers and whatnot you kind of fig- figure it would be um what's the term i'm looking for here a little more long-winded but it's not right verbose is the the nice word i was going to use but okay there you go <laughs> <laughs> there you go good word good word there but yeah uh and i, I had made a note here that the guy leading the the kind of uh, brigade of uh townsfolk that show up at the church front with shotguns is led by the guy who played vigo in Ghostbusters 2. I did not realize this huh. until the last viewing. Uh, Wilhelm huh. von Homburg. He, <laughs> he, uh, he, he played, he was a wrestler turned actor. Huh. But I looked at him and I'm just like, I recognize this fella. So I paused it and it's Vigo the Carpathian from Ghostbusters 2. Cool. cool. Just a little side note, but uh, right not too long after that, we get what I consider... And I feel free to disagree with me on this one, but I, I, I think it's the creepiest shot and the creepiest scene is when Styles uh, takes the car and goes riding back to the church to go confront Sutter Kane. Because the previous scene at the church is when they first get the real glimpse and you see who Sutter Kane is, played by Jerk and Proc now. And he's in the church. He, 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 the church doors open and close. You know, and it's a little boy, and then when they close, they open back up, it's Sutter Kane. Yeah. But but the part that comes secondary, <clears throat> the secondary scene at the church, is when she shows up, and there's the group of kids playing with a uh-huh. bouncing ball, and they got little creature faces, and the one looks and says, you know what today is? Today's Mommy's Day. And you just You're my have to... mommy. <laughs> yeah, it's just, that Whole today is mommy's day, and you know mm-hmm. what it is. Mm. Creepy kids being fucking creepy as usual, man. And, and kind of the reason why I'm glad I made the, the decision in life to not have children because I would probably have a very <laughs> creepy kid, I'm sure. <laughs> and the first time they would look at me and say something like that, I'd be like, You possessed by the devil. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I will say, every parent has had a moment like that. Like, I've seen a movie like this or like that didn't that didn't just come out of your mouth, did it? <laughs> but right. but you look at this kid and there's there's clearly other things wrong with this kid because <laughs> she's got like demon teeth and like a burned up looking face and <laughs> like 
cat like reptilian kind of eyes and just yeah. <laughs> like obviously not normals <laughs> but and the the next creepiest part is that fucking painting that's like ever evolving you know first you know the two people in the painting are looking away and then the, the lady in the painting is looking over her shoulder and then they start looking a little mutated the more you're mm-hmm. in this town the more the town and Sutter Kane kind of takes a hold of you. Right. And even, even uh, Trent at one point, you know, notices the painting and notices that it's different. He still thinks it's. He still thinks they've done it on purpose. Yep. Yeah. He still thinks it's just like, oh, well, somebody just changed the painting while I was upstairs. Uh-huh. But when, when he's talking to Mrs. Pickman and she's, <laughs> she's looking a little haggard, you know, uh-huh. This isn't, you know, this is not the, the mom from Happy Gilmore that we're looking at here, you know, uh-huh. the, the same actress, but this is not the sweet little old lady from, you know, Happy Happy Gilmore. Uh, she's, you know, she's acting very strange, looking a little haggard. She's like, oh, I was up all night reading. You know, <laughs> sure you were. Sure, sure you were. Sure you were. We are doing you, You're up to because when he leaves, the, as the camera pans down and you see your husband laying on the floor, who we've never seen until now, laying naked on the floor, handcuffed to her. Handcuffed to her His arm is handcuffed to her. Right. Yes. This is so creepy. Little old ladies and little She's kids just, just being kicking creepy. him. Yeah. Yeah. yeah She's just kicking him like, hush. You hush now. Like, that's just, just that's kind of like a level of Annie Wilkes type twistedness. Yeah. That's yeah, what I, I got. Like, yeah. A little bit of Annie Wilkes there, you know. Although later it is it is a little stranger because then she turns into like a Cthulhu kind of thing, <laughs> kind of chick. But uh, oh, oh, yeah, with who doesn't just murder people with her enormously large like crab-like <laughs> legs and tentacles? <laughs> she's wielding an axe to how to hack up her husband. You know, because like, she's still practical. I mean, you know, she's still like you know, why would I break a nail when I can use a tool? <laughs> I'd broke a nail. Oh. Uh, <laughs> But I think another creepy scene that that uh, we have to have to mention is when Styles crab walks out of the car. This does happen yes. a little bit later. She does the kind of um, the, the closest reference I can think of to any other film is when Linda Blair crab yep. walks down the steps in The Exorcist, which she yep. crab walks out of the car, but her head is on backwards and upside or upside down. That right, is and extremely it's so effective. And if you just if you break it down, because I call her Spider Linda is what I've got here. But if you break <laughs> it down, it's just it's not even like a contortionist. It's like I mean, any like eight year old kid can do that move where you're like you do a back bend and you just flip over into like a you know basically a crawl stance or whatever. It's just the fact that her head's on backwards. I mean, it looks so weird and creepy. I mean, they didn't do any CGI. I don't, the head doesn't have any kind of mechanism. I mean, her mouth wasn't moving or anything. It was just, they stuck a mask on somebody who was like, went into a back bend and then just kind of flipped their arms and legs over to where they were like on all fours. And man, is it creepy as hell. You know, keeping it simple, but keeping it effective. Right, right. Now, this is, this is part where I think, Sam Neill as John Trent, his bravado starts to break down a little bit because too many things are happening. So many things are happening so fast that he can't quite, you know, can't keep up with it. 
I think yeah. as he's trying to debunk one thing, seven other things are happening. And this is the one point in the movie that I that I have a problem with is, is I call it the Freddy Ford, the Nightmare on Elm Street Four moment where he keeps trying to escape. Yeah. But he keeps driving away but then as he turns the corner he's right back in the middle of main street with the mob coming at him and he just comes around and he comes back you know he he tries to back away goes down another street and he's back at the same spot i I just i don't like moments in movies like that and i didn't like it in freddy four but you know it's really like the one moment of the movie that i have a problem with yeah and it seems uncharacteristic of him because he is kind of the he's type the type of person he's not going to bang his head against a wall to try to figure something out if something doesn't work he is going to immediately get his ass back up and he is going to try something else so it really doesn't seem logical that he would just keep doing the same damn thing and getting the same results and not trying something different because he's basically just taking the road out of town every time until until he finally decides to plow over everybody but then he sees linda in the road and he swerves but he's already seen linda do the spider linda walk so like he already knows she's messed up yeah she's just as messed up as the rest of the uh you know, the rest of the town folks, I just feel like he, yeah. he, he kind of, I mean, if obviously he kind of had a thing for her, you know, but at the same time, I, I, I feel like maybe he thought she was really the only normal one and he could maybe quote unquote save her, but I don't know. Or, or if he came back to town, I mean, still thinking the way he's thinking, if he came back to town and he had left her or if he had actually run over her and she was actually a real person, um, like he thinks she is, then yeah, then that would be a load of like shit for him. So yeah, it's probably I like I got to I got to bring her it. back because she's my only witness anyway. You know, so get yeah. your ass in here, get your take off your stupid Linda Blair mask, and let's go. <laughs> <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, he does at one point like knock her out and yeah, try he to, just like punches her to knock her out cold. Oh, <laughs> um, just so good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but. I love where it breaks down where Trent finally comes face to face with Sutter Kane. Yeah. And, you know, he, as he has that line where he's like, I know what I am. Nobody pulls my strings. You, you just want to go because everything that we've seen as an audience and as, as participating in this, it just makes you want to go, yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know who you are and nobody pulls your strings but your, your strings are being dangled right now and that's when Kane you know tells him you know you are to deliver the new book he just finished the manuscript put it in a box and hands it to him and he's like you will deliver the new book unto the the new world and you know the old world the old ones are starting their this wall this separating them from our reality yeah. Like a that's door, kind of, a pulsating door. <laughs> yeah, that just looks like it leads into like the dungeon of Bride of Frankenstein or something. This is you know oozing with slime and pulsating with power, and this becomes one of my favorite sequences of the movie. This is one of my favorite effects. I would love to see a breakdown of how they did this. Maybe it's on a commentary track somewhere that I haven't uh, listened to. But when Kane pull- reaches into his mm-hmm. face. And starts pulling himself apart like the pages of a book. Yeah, you know, he's like it, absorbing it, into the wall and like pulling like he's paper. Yes. Yeah. And as as he pulls himself apart, it rips a big hole, and you see, you know, these out 
like like has been blown apart or ripped apart. You can see the words of the book yeah. on the inside, and you know, got this the sequence when the old ones, you know, come out. And this is where Linda Linda Styles just hands Trent the book and says, you know, I've read to the end. I know how everything ends. Just go. And he starts running down this long corridor. I don't know where they shot this, but it was a magnificent location. Yes, yes. And the great KMB effects, I think a large chunk, to think about how big of a chunk of the budget must have went to this final sequence. Yes, had to have. There was probably, what, 10 to 12 creatures coming down this long corridor chasing Trent? It it was every bit as scary as, like, watching uh, Sam Neill run away from uh, the dinosaurs in Jurassic (laughs) Park, if not more so. Yeah. I kind of wonder if he used that as like a prerequisite was just like, well, you know, I've already <laughs> ran away from, from you know, dinosaurs. Dinosaurs. I can run away from Cthulhu and Dagon. Uh, so when he, just to go back a little bit, when he does run into Kane, um, and Kane basically, he has a whole conversation with Linda, basically telling her, you know, telling her all some of the things that we've already said that, you know, he thought he was making it up, but really the old ones were like guiding him. And he tells her, when he invites her into the room, he says, you can edit right here from inside the room, like, you know, which is kind of weird. Doesn't she turns, but when he finally confronts, when John kind of finally confronts Kane, Kane's, they, then they started talking about that. Like how, when does, when does something become religion? And then Kane says, more people believe in my books than the Bible. But then Kane, Kane's still being a smart ass says, well, your books suck. <laughs> Right. <laughs> like playground like for bottle. <laughs> like they're like poor poorly fucking written. He does actually say at one point though that he was uh he was surprised when he first read them that the style was uh you know more sophisticated than he thought it was gonna be from just like pop horror kind of stuff. Yeah, that was before he actually like I think that was when he first started reading the books and let's talk about that part we're backtracking almost an hour into the movie here but there was at least (laughs) six or seven books are we led to believe that he either a read all six or seven of these books and let's just say one afternoon and one evening or did he just kind of do the the quick read version and read the abridged version of these books i think he did a lot of skimming and i think the only way that we would know this is because of the view of the church thing when she's like, well, you didn't read carefully enough. The view is from the east. Like, uh, it's yeah. it's just a tiny little thing. Again, it's something that could have been fleshed out a little more. And it, I think that whole montage of him reading the books could have been a little more immersive, could have been a little more fleshed out. But, hey. You know. Yeah, it is what it is. Maybe there's and, something in that uh, director's cut that's out there somewhere. Right, the, yeah, just, hey, you know what? They found the lost footage for Friday the 13th Part 2. I have hopes for anything now. Right, <laughs> right. If they could find that after all these years on an old dusty VHS and it still works, they can find something from 95, I'm sure. I would hope. Um, one, one thing, though, that I kind of noticed, and I wanted to go back, but I actually rented this, and so after I watched it, I didn't ever do it before it ran out. But when Kane is ripping himself apart, the first part he pulls is up from his head and it rips in kind of this not like not your average like not the way paper rips it ripped in a very smooth like curvy way and I wanted to go back and see if when he started ripping those off if they were like the pieces of that map of New Hampshire 
Because I felt like the way that they were, mm-hmm. those were curved. I felt like it looked like he was almost peeling those off of him. But I don't know because, again, I suck and didn't go back and <laughs> check it out after. I didn't either. I gave it the good once over and made my notes and was done with it. But of all the movies that I have of John Carpenter's in my collection, In the Mouth of Madness is the only one that I don't own on anything except for VHS. And I don't play my VHSs very often just for fear that they're never going to work again. But I would probably yeah, I would be willing to bet, you know, that's probably the way it went. That's prob- probably was I, uh, yeah. well, for the I'll map. Because the center of the map would have been his his head been, and like, his, his brain. Head, right? Because if you think right. about New Hampshire, you know, it's very skinny at the top. And then it tapers down. That's the other thing that I thought it looked like that first. Because even though the top part of the map was skinny, it still was separated with two different pieces. Like, it was made of two different pieces. And that's what I was feeling. It was, like, pulling, like, the one half of it off. But I don't know. I could be totally wrong. But if oh. I'm right, it's cool. If I'm wrong, then hey, missed opportunity, John Carpenter. <laughs> right, right. Coulda, shoulda, and woulda. Yeah. Uh, you you would think like where a movie usually normally ends, this movie takes it a right. step, couple steps further. You would think it would end with Sam Neill, you know, escaping the town. But you know, there's a good another twenty minutes left. You know, when he like just ends up in the middle of the street. Yeah, you know, he just he airdrops or whatever. <laughs> He's just like right. he GI Joe drops into the middle of the, <laughs> yeah. the intersect, and like when he even asked the, the the kid that rides by on a bike, a totally <laughs> different kid this time. He's like, you know, you know who Sutter Kane is, and the kid just shrugs and says no, and he's just like, okay. But I love when he's on the bus. And wait, can I having... say something about that kid? Yeah, I think this is funny. I think this is probably on purpose. That he had no regard for the kid on the bike before, right? Like, he's just like, oh, well, you know, he's fine, blah, blah, blah. But then he gets back to, quote, unquote, reality. And the very first thing the kid asks him, he's like, did you have an accident? Do you need me to go get you some help? Like, the kid is has way more, like, the real kid has way more empathy. The kid on the bike has more empathy than he had for the kid what? on the bike that he That hit. they ran over? Yes, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, the kid, yeah, because he was just like, yeah, I had an accident. He's like, do you want me to get you somebody? He's like, nah, nah I'm good. Yeah, <laughs> like, he's he's totally, like, concerned with him, you know? That, I, I think that well, probably that proves was right there that, kinda, yeah. The proof's right there that the kid's a better person than Trent, <laughs> you know? Yes, most almost everybody is. But, uh, yeah, so, yeah, he comes back, and he, he burns the book, which we all, we know, all know never yeah. works. <laughs> yeah, that never um, going he clearly has not read a lot of books or watched a lot of movies because burning never does the trick. <laughs> they tried that with the Necronomicon. If it don't work with the Necronomicon, it ain't going to work with Sutter Kane. That's true. But, but yeah. we do find out a little bit about Sutter Kane. We find out his favorite color is blue. Yes, we do. <laughs> I love that sequence because, you know, for those of you who are listening, Trent is uh, sleeping or thinks he's sleeping, having a nightmare, and Sutter Kane is sitting next to him, and he's just like, they're discussing what's reality and what isn't. And he's like, by the way, did I ever tell you my favorite color is blue? And when he snaps awake, everything, everything is blue. Everything is blue. And he's in that, that iconic, just his face. He has the weirdest, like, scream smile on his face when he's just kind of like half between screaming and half between laughing that he kind of does at the end too. Right. Love it. And then he goes and meet with uh, Charlton Heston again as Harglow. And that's when I think his reality just completely 
completely breaks the fuck down because that's when he just re- I, I I don't know what's going through his head, but it's yeah. got to be going a million miles an hour because Harglow tells him, "I never sent Styles with you. I don't even know I don't who even she know is. who the hell you're talking about." And, and then, then he a- says, "Oh yes, Styles must have been written out." And yeah, he's making his reality. He's he's putting all the pieces together, and he's he's putting the logic together. But as he's putting the logic together, everybody else is looking at him, going crazy. <laughs> right, because the world is still going nuts at this point. People are still kind of rioting and tearing apart bookstores and kind of becoming under the the spell, I guess you right. could say, of the old ones and Sutter Kane. But you know. And he tells him, he's like, I'm glad I burned that book. And he's like, well, he's like, I know that isn't true. He's like, because yeah. you delivered it to me, what do you say, seven weeks ago? Well, he, or seven said, ago? he said several months ago. But this is one thing I do like about this book, this movie, this book, um, is that he said, well, you can't, okay, you can't publish it. And he goes, well, I've already published it. It's been on shelves for seven weeks. Right. It's been on shelves for seven weeks. And it, it's gradually causing people to go crazy. But it had it wasn't just like it came out and everybody went, Whoa! you know, like I hate stuff like that where it's like, I don't even care if it's the freaking Avengers movie or something. You're not going to be able to reach everybody in two, three weeks with a form of media. You just can't. This yeah, ain't Halloween not even three. Not all of us are going to be watching the commercial at the same time. <laughs> Whatever. You might so, get a good healthy chunk of them, but you're not going to get everybody. Right, and the movie's coming out next month. It's all so gradual that it it doesn't. No one would ever link it to that, and it doesn't. It's not like a zombie infection kind of thing, which always drives me crazy. That everybody's hunky dory one day, and there's like a mysterious illness in Zimbabwe, and then like the next day, like you know, suburbia is like outbroken. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, that kind of bothers me too. Is it seems to be all too instantaneous. Mm-hmm. But, but not with this one. It all happens yeah. gradual. And I love the following scene where I think you get, you're supposed to get the idea this is many days, if not a few weeks later, because given the state of how John Trent looks dirty, disheveled, and looking very homeless and whatnot. And when he confronts the young kid outside the bookstore and he's like, mm-hmm. he's like, oh, do you, you know, he's now saying, do you read Sutter Kane? And the kid just kind of nods and says, yes. He's like, well, oh, well, then this won't come you know, as much a surprise. surprise yes. All right. I love that one lighter. I love the humor. And he just pulls out the axe and blasts the kid and kills him. And then we're kind of back. To, we're back towards the end and the beginning right. at the same time. We're at our book bookend. And, and he is completely lucid and sane. He's sitting there just. Smoking a cigarette, he even tells the guy that he's been telling his story to, he even tells him, I don't want to go out there. I think it's safer in here than it is out there. He's he's completely, like, grounded at that point. Yeah, he, he's at least, if he's, if he's not grounded, he's at least come to accept what's going to happen and what's coming. I got, my, just, I got knows- my crayon. I'm good. <laughs> right. Like, all all he's got is all the little crosses he's drawn everywhere, big and small, and everywhere with this one magical, never-ending crayon. Yeah. I would have loved it. We'll never get past that. No, I would have loved it if, like, somewhere on the wall, like, written really small, like, you know, a PA or something had written, like, Kilroy was here or something. (laughs) (laughs) It might be there. You never know. You know, there's some, like, uh, considering that Carpenter called this the... 
the final part of his uh, um, Armageddon tril- or Apocalypse yeah, trilogy. trilogy. Something, something on the wall there that could have said something like, you know, McCready was the thing. <laughs> or, yeah, or really. Child yeah. all along. So right. Or, or learn to speak Norwegian and the whole movie would have been mapped out for you. Right. <laughs> it is right. Norwegian, right? Yeah, I think it is right, Norwegian. Right. Like they basically yeah. tell you the whole movie. Yeah, um, like learn to speak Norwegian, and this never would have happened. Happened exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, but uh, the he they were saying something about what would what about people who don't read? Like, how is this supposed to affect people who won't read? And then it's like, then he says, "There's, there's a, a movie," yeah. which again, still you're not still going to pick up everybody. But I I get it. That's that's got to be a little bit of a statement about our society, like. Well, even the dumbasses that don't read, they'll go watch a movie. Right. Because even for those of us who are horror fans that don't read, we would definitely watch the movie. I don't read horror. I don't. I don't read a lot, to be honest with you, for pleasure. Um, But I don't read horror. I never was like a huge Stephen King fan or any, any of those guys. Like, I mean, I would read some of it, but... Not just not a huge fan. I would be one of the dumbasses who'd be like, I'll wait for the movie. <laughs> right. It would just you would be one of the ones that would last that first seven weeks mm-hmm. while the book was out, and as soon as the movie came out, I'd be like, Yep. They got yeah, me. bastards. I would yeah. I would have beaten you. You already would have been crazy and axing people at diners and shit, and I would have still been okay for seven weeks. <laughs> yeah. Unless you were one of the ones that got axe murdered, then you know, maybe that's how they get people. Everybody that reads and and the book and sees the movie goes mad and everybody else just dies. What's you know? cool too though is when he goes to so everything's pretty much I mean he like this is jumping a little bit but uh pretty much the guy leaves and then shit just goes the doctor even says hey things are getting pretty bad out there aren't they? You know still smiling. Things are getting yeah, pretty bad old out John there. Glover. Yeah. He's super creepy. He's just oh, super, super creepy actor. But the guy's kind of like yeah they are, you know. So it's it's like they know that he's right but they can't prove it. And they probably do want to contain everybody who knows anything, I would think, because that's their their only way of finding any information out. But basically everything goes to shit at that point in the asylum. And he, he leaves, he ends up getting out and he goes to see the movie. But if you notice, um, he walks by the line of the movie um, maybe yeah. this is before, but when he walks by the line of the movie, people are already like they're violent and they're they're fighting with each other. Oh yeah. So it's like reading the book. Maybe those people just kind of read the book. Maybe they just maybe from watching the commercials they got a little sick. Yeah, maybe it's like, kind of like a little Halloween three type action. You know, something yeah. was. It- Something in the airwaves or in the radio waves or in the television signal. Right, but it does seem like there's a lesser version, I guess is what I'm saying. Because there are the people who are just flat out like axe murdering and like, then there are people who are like rioting and looting. And then there are the people who just seem to be agitated. Yeah, again, I feel like it's something that could have been fleshed out just a little bit more. Because I felt like, you know, not often will I say a movie needs an extra 15 to 30 oh, minutes you know yeah. most of the time i i always say that you know movie could stand to lose 15 minutes but yeah. i felt like this movie i would have loved 
I liked it so much that I would have liked to have seen more. Yeah. Again, I, I would like to see this version that has 20, 30 extra minutes of it if it ex- really exists out there anymore. I, maybe, maybe you know, hopefully the... Yeah. Something out there, but this is about the point, though, right before he gets out, though, which before Trent, you know, kind of breaks free when the, the, the monsters or whatever. Uh, when Trent has the line where he's talking to the doctor, to David Warner, when he says, you know, well, the movie comes out next month. And he has the line where he says, every species can smell its own extinction. Yes. I love that line. That's a yep. brilliantly written line. And then again, then he, he leaves as, as he leaves the mental institution, the hospital on foot. You know, there, there's wreckages everywhere, fires everywhere, blood everywhere. No people really at this point. Right. At and, this point, it, it is feeling a little more like the desolate zombie apocalypse thing. Because there's like, you know, ambulances with the lights still going and the doors open and no one around. And, you know, all of that type of uh ambiance that's yeah the kind of the end of civilization feeling that you get well and the only thing you really get that there's any kind of uh any society or any kind of civilization left is the radio broadcast basically telling people don't trust your loved ones don't trust your Mm -hmm. friends stay inside barricade yourself inside you know martial law had been declared in all the big cities you know fires were burning all across the you know east and west coast all the big cities were gone you know so you get the idea with them really not having to show you a whole lot again budgetary reasons i understand why they did it and it works that way well but he walks- budgetary reasons number one but number two we've seen enough of this apocalyptic shit that they don't need to spell it all out for us like that oh. is one thing that just doesn't need to be spelled out anymore is we see Again, we see an ambulance with the lights going and the doors open and no one there. That's that speaks volumes to us. Yeah. And we're like, okay, let's, yeah, let's a, just keep a couple going. <laughs> a couple of wrecked cars, a couple well placed fires. You get the idea. Yeah, yeah. And he literally wakes from one nightmare and right into another, and he goes into the movie theater. I like the fact that he goes into the movie theater that's showing the movie, the In the Mouth of Madness movie. Oh, that, well, right. Is that he's still got a bucket of popcorn. He's still have enough <laughs> enough thought to grab himself some munchies as he sits down and he watches the movie play out, which they only show a few clips of it and whatnot. And it's just it is ends with him. him. Yeah, it's him in the movie. It's the all the sequences that we've already seen. The movie is him. It's not like it's not like Jeff Goldblum as John Trent. It the movie, even the poster says starring. John Trent. John Trent. I, yeah, I I love how that works, but I love that last shot of just that profile shot of him half laughing, half screaming, half, and part crying yeah. all at the same time as he just and just still putting the popcorn in his mouth. He's just right. like he's still watching it. Yeah, and he's doing that whole "you laughed, you cried, you know, you spilled your popcorn," you know, that kind of thing. Um, it I and I, I can say that. I don't know if this would be better or not, and I'm sure it was a definite choice. And again, definitely budgetary with this. Um, if they chose this for budgetary reasons, I would totally understand. But I, I wonder if it would have been better if it would have been a different actor playing him in oh, the for movie the shots version and the that he's that we see watching. In the movie? Yeah, like, but it was probably but, done for. Both reasons. I mean, budgetary and for the the aesthetic that is supposed to be 
him and not somebody playing him. Well, and I, I don't guess know. Here's, another, here's another thing too, though. Okay, if let's say he had read the entire manuscript that that was him from start to finish. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. It still it says it's him. It's things that he said, things that he thought. Fine. But seeing those written words don't drive it home nearly as much as I guess seeing seeing you in a movie and everything that you've done being orchestrated like you, not like a character like you, but like you. Yeah. Yeah, like he's not watching Brad Pitt playing John Trent. He's watching it, it unfold with him in it. I think that it's right. much more horrifying. Right, like it takes <clears throat> away every, like any little like point zero 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 two percent of doubt, even at that point that he would have had. That takes it all away. That like my whole freaking existence was all just right here on the screen. That was all fake. Yeah. Yep, yeah, it was or, all orchestrated. Or, or whatever. Yeah, fake, but, but what is reality, you know? Yeah, reality has now become religion, as they say. <laughs> yeah. But that is essentially the end of our movie and the end of uh, civilization as we, <laughs> as we right. know it. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's a wild ride in the mouth of madness. Such a wild fucking ride. Uh, but let's get into our final thoughts and reviews. Uh, you know how we do things around here. We usually give a uh, final thoughts and a rating on a scale from 1 to 10. So go ahead. So... I haven't seen this movie too many times. I've maybe seen it three or four times. So it's it's one that every time I watch it, I pick up on different things um, or that I focus on different parts of it. I think this time I focused a little more on Trent um, as, as the character, like as opposed to the, is it reality, not reality, that kind of thing. Um, and I really like, I really felt like I identified with him. <laughs> For whatever reason, it oh, makes same, me wonder same. about myself. <laughs> <laughs> Are um, you real, Rebecca? <laughs> I know. I know. You know, it's like I don't even smoke weed, you know, and I'm, you know, or do LSD or anything like that. So, you know, but I'm going to sit here. <laughs> Maybe you like, should. Am I, am I real? <laughs> am I real? Is this because I tell you what, whoever's writing my life right now, you're a shitty writer. OK, there ain't nobody that's going to want to read this. <laughs> but, <laughs> um. But no, like I, I probably was going to come in with a 7.5 because I really like this movie. I think I want it to be longer. I want it to have a little bit more. Like I felt like it was really quick between them getting to Hobbs End and them getting to Sutter King. Like I felt like that, that's probably where they needed a little bit. Like they needed five to seven minutes there. And maybe a little bit more when he's reading the books to kind of pad out what the st- what he was reading, just so we could see the story. Um, or even if there was a conversation, like if he was like on the phone with Styles, like at that point when he's reading. I mean, you know, get go cheap with it; it's fine. But if he's just like, so the chick like chopped up her husband, you know, like even something like that, so we kind of have a front loaded type idea that when we walk into this town we're already seeing what what he he knows and styles obviously knows is is uh fiction but um i'm gonna go just a little higher though i'm gonna say eight because i still really dig the hell out of this movie i really like sam neill in it um it makes you walk away 
going what the fuck as opposed to picking out Cameron's what the fuck moments. Uh, the whole movie is pretty much a what yep. the fuck moment, and I, that's I why enjoy the, those. That's sometimes. why I didn't really. So I really didn't uh, um, focus on any what the fuck moments because the whole movie is a what the fuck moment. Yeah, really, the only what the fuck moment for me was that goddamn crayon. <laughs> right. The I rest of it, I can totally buy all of it. <laughs> and you sent me the screenshot of your notes and then just circled in big bold letters. With right, single black a crayon. single like, black crayon. <laughs> I'm like, we're on the same page here. Mm-hmm. But, and. and my rating is about the same. I, I had two ratings written down. When I started, I started out at a 7.5 myself, and I'm going to end at an 8. I think I've come in with a, a finer uh, appreciation for this movie. And again, I feel the same way. I feel like there, it needed to be, you know, 10 to 15 minutes longer, just a little bit more fleshed out. I, You know, we got enough of... of John Trent, and we knew who he was. I wanted to know a little bit more about Styles. I wanted to. I wanted a little bit more Sutter Kane, and you know, I wanted a little bit. You know, most of the time, you would want a little less exposition, but I found that I kind of wanted a little more. It left me longing. Otherwise, I probably could have given this, you know, a nine or a ten if it, it had been uh, fleshed out a little bit more, because the the effects are top notch. K and B, you know. As we all know, as horror movie fans, K&B is pretty much the best at what they do. And in the 90s, they were delivering uh, on a lot of certain levels that a lot of people weren't with special effects. And it's really well cast. I mean, between Sam Neill Neil and Julie Carmen, Jurgen Prochnow, David Warner, John Glover, and even some of the su- supporting characters like Peter Jason, Bernie Casey, everybody is perfectly cast in their roles, no matter how small. And... Yeah, I'm coming in at the same rating as you. I, I, mine kind of went up a little bit this time. And I hadn't watched it that many times. You know, I, even though I own, own it on VHS, I've seen it maybe, you know, six, seven, eight times. But I felt like I, like every time I watch this, I pick up on something new, if that makes sense. Okay. You know, you know what? I just, I just had an epiphany. This is what this movie needed to boost it to a nine for me. Okay. Let's think of the movie Misery. We never once see a scene from the book. We never have like, you know, we never have something like a flashback of like Annie reading it or anything. All we have are some little conversations, little, little bits and pieces. Uh, There's not a whole lot of fleshing out of the story, but like, you know, Annie just saying like, Ooh, so does misery meet up with so-and-so again? You know, whatever. We had a Mm -hmm. little bit of that and that's free. That would have probably helped a little bit. Um, if we had a little bit more of even random people talking about things that happened in Hobbs End, um, even people at the bookstore having a random conversation like, oh, my God, can you believe that this happened? Blah, blah, blah. Totally free and totally, yeah. I think, would have would have would have built the world of Sutter Kane up a little bit more for us. Well, you know, they, they say several times the ongoing <clears throat> the repeated line in this movie is, do you read Sutter Kane? Now, if they would have maybe like shied away from that, you know, doing that several times and had people, you know, these people that are going nuts, you know, and, you know, like the agent and whatnot or the, you know, uh, Francis Bay's Mrs. Pickman, Pickman character explaining something that they saw. Because Styles did it during the one part when they show up at the Pickman Hotel. Right. Like they did that. Right. If they would have had a few more instances of that, 
yeah. easily, easily could have been a nine for me. Yeah. You know, uh, I love it for all the right reasons, you know, and it's, it's Carpenter at some of his storytelling finest. And I thought it was strange that he did not write this and him and Deborah Hill usually were a writing producing team and they didn't have a, uh, we have a critic there. <laughs> yeah. He's like, yeah, but, uh, I am so Deborah Hill bitches. <laughs> Well, you know, because when Deborah Hill and Carpenter put their their brains together, it it was they were a dream team. Yeah, it was yeah, one of those things. I think we only know kind of a little bit more now. Like, I don't think it was really like as it was established at the time. But I think now we know with hearing you know stories and watching documentaries and stuff that like when the two of them got together to do something, they like had like the magic. Yeah, and this movie, it still had a bit of that magic, but it was just, I think it was kind of missing a bit of maybe that Deborah Hill touch. You know, if it had, maybe it would have been a nine or a ten, but hell, a seven and a half, eight is still a damn good rating. I tell you uh, what, me giving anything from 1995 an eight out of ten is like saying that it is just top-notch, trust me. (laughs) Right. Yeah, again, because the 90s just, you know, by process of elimination, one decade has to be your favorite, the 80s, and one decade has to be your least favorite. Your least favorite, the 90s. 90s. But that being said, though, I think this is a was a great addition to the John Carpenter Appreciation Month. You know, uh, it's one of the movies less traveled by him. You know, it's kind of more off the beaten track. I think people always think of uh, Escape from New York and Halloween, the thing, all great movies in their own right but some of his more lesser known movies deserve a little extra love and that's why we're here today yep that being said um i want to thank you rebecca for joining us for another appreciation month i think we uh we've covered another like i said another one lesser traveled like when we did monkey shines for romero month and who knows what we're going to pick for the next appreciation month still remains to be seen but again, thank you very much for taking some time out of your busy schedule. I know you have tons of editing to do on your own, mm-hmm. so uh, I always appreciate somebody taking time out of their schedule to do that. Maybe you want to give a plug to your shows and what you got going on here so people know where to find you. Well, if you didn't get it from the very beginning, my podcast is in the mic of madness. Um, yes. We're on YouTube, Apple, Google, all the normal places. Um I also have a YouTube channel, The Not Quite Final Girl, where I do, well, my, probably my most popular things right now is I do drunken commentaries. So I basically just watch movies and I drink and I hang out with my dog Snickers and we just watch the movie and comment. Uh, Yeah, not so original, but for whatever reason, people love it. And I'm I'm just going to have to say this, that if you want to find me on OnlyFans, my username is Becca Reinhart, B-E-C-C-A-R-I-N-E-H-A-R-T. I have had so many subs lately there who are like, oh, I, I heard you say on the podcast that you had an OnlyFans. So I'm like, <laughs> well, and I usually just joke about it. Like, it's usually just like, yeah, if you want to go to my OnlyFans. But hey, you know what? I'm going to plug it, motherfuckers. <laughs> People are actually right going to come subscribe, to it. Subscribe, motherfuckers. Yeah, subscribe, man. And I will I will do whatever. I will talk to you about horror. You don't even have to go look at tit pics. You can pick my brain about horror all day long. And I do have several people to do that. Right on, right on. Well, once again, I want to thank you for coming on, and I want to thank uh, you listeners and fellow degenerates out there for tuning in for another Appreciation Month. 
you have been listening to us review and, and give a deep dive dissection on In the Mouth of Madness by the one and only John Carpenter. And remember, are you reading Sutter Kane or is Sutter Kane reading you? Neither, because he doesn't exist and nobody wrote the books. Wrong, <laughs> <laughs> wrong. Yeah. All right, folks. Thanks for tuning in. Good night.